Welcome, everybody, to a very special episode of the Hustle Sanctuary. Today, we have an incredible, incredible person by the name of Habin Gurma. Thank you, Habin, for joining us today. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me here. Can you tell us um, a little bit about where you grew up? I grew up in Oakland, California. I went away for college and law school, but then came back. So I'm still currently living in the San Francisco Bay Area. And my parents are from Eritrea and Ethiopia. Eritrea is a small country in the Horn of Africa next to Ethiopia. What qualities um, you know, did you pick up or admire most from your parents who made this great journey here? I really admire the resilience and strength my parents have shown. It takes a lot of work to leave your home, go to a new country, learn a whole new system, culture, language. That's a ton of work and exhausting. So my parents have shared many of the stories of their experiences growing up in Ethiopia and Eritrea and then making the transition over to the United States. And I admire them for those stories, and I've learned a lot from those stories. I've learned to also be resilient in finding solutions, and going through my journey. Stories from my parents, those helped. But getting a good education, actually having access to a good education has been a huge impact for me. So I think a lot more people would become advocates if they had access to good quality education. So let's talk a little bit about Eritrean culture. What other interesting facts are there about that ethnicity that, you know, most people might not be aware of? We have amazing food. If you <laughs> haven't tried Korean food, you need to try it. It's delicious, very flavorful. The injera is a type of bread, and the stews and sauces blend in with the injera, so you get many different layers of texture and flavor. Definitely give it a try. You know, I noticed that you have a very good natural comedic sensibility or wit. And I'm just curious, did you take an improv class to sort of sharpen that? Or has that just been there? Humor is a powerful skill to deal with awkwardness. And because I grew up with a disability, there's so many situations where people feel awkward around me. They don't know what to say, what words to use even. So developing a sense of humor helped me help other people feel comfortable around me. So I've developed humor sort of naturally, intuitively throughout my life because it's a powerful tool for building relationships with people. Recently, just this year, I started to take improv classes with Face Off Limited, sorry, Face Off Unlimited in New York. And it's great to be able to take the skills I have and further develop them. And we're hoping to do a show, uh, an improv comedy show, and it would be my first improv show. We don't have the dates for that yet, but when we do, I'll give them to you. Um, you speak a lot about community, um, I've noticed. Tell us, you know, why 
uh, having the right community is so important. If we have the right community, we can be authentic. We can be ourselves. There are many communities that are non-inclusive. For example, if a, a club or a bench is held in a space that's not wheelchair accessible, then people with mobility disabilities can't access that event and can't be part of that community. So that's not inclusive. Or an event that doesn't have captioning on their videos, then people with hearing impairments, deafness, can't access the content in the videos. And that's hurtful. So those communities lose out on the talents of people with disabilities and miss out on having diverse members in their communities. We all benefit. There are 57 million Americans with disabilities, so that's a significant population. And if media companies make their services accessible, making videos with captions, providing print material in accessible formats, then those media companies gain a larger audience, which means more profit and more business in the long run. So everybody benefits. You know, lawyers can sometimes get a bad rap. And how would you like to see the connotation changed? And why is it that you think lawyers can sometimes get a bad rap? A lot of stories about lawyers have been negative. The dominant story of lawyers in movies and books are ones that cause problems and their stereotypes as dark. I want to change that story. I want to show more lawyers actually doing good in communities and helping people who need help. So that's the kind of lawyer I am, and I know many other lawyers who are like that, doing public service, promoting civil rights. Those are important stories that we need to highlight. Who is a hero of yours and why? My mother is one of my heroes, and partly because of what, what I've told you earlier, that her story of having to leave one place, Eritrea, and start all over again in America, that takes a lot of courage, resilience, and hard work. So those stories, growing up hearing her stories, have influenced me. And I feel like that's part of the reason why I've been able to do so much is because I grew up with these stories, and I know we all have to work hard and keep journeying towards whatever it is that we want to read. Absolutely, and that's a good segue into this question. What is your advice for someone finding their purpose in this world if they aren't sure of that yet? Try exploring lots of different fields and pay attention to what brings you joy. What aspects of, of a book, an experience, a movie bring you joy? And then find ways to increase those experiences in your life. Go into those fields where you're going to get a lot of that. I think some of us walk around quite serious, wanting to better themselves and might not play enough or have fun enough. As someone who engages and all sorts of fun activities such as yourself, like surfing and salsa dancing, 
Why is it important to remember to balance this? I love my light side, and I try to have it with me all the time. So when I'm having fun and engaging in activities like salsa, surfing, improv comedy, part of that is showing all of those communities that disability is part of everything. So we don't just want to see disability as something serious. We also want to see disability as something light and fun. So when I'm engaging in activities in a way that's also advocacy, that's also work, because I'm teaching communities that disability doesn't just stay in one area. Disability touches all aspects of life. What do you feel it is that separates those who experience adversity and let it stop them and those who experience adversity and thrive? Adversity can be really exhausting. And sometimes for some people, after experiencing one adversity after another, it can be exhausting and they may need to break, take a break. There's this phrase called choose your battle. And for some people, it gets so exhausting that they need a break. But then other people have the energy to advocate. And if you have the energy to advocate, you should. Go for it. Do it. Because whatever changes you create are going to help other people as well. We need to address the small things. They add up. So if we're going to remove the large barriers, we also need to start by removing the small barriers. We build up the skills to remove the large barriers when we work on the small barriers. Is there one case that you can cite? Is there one case that was compelling or moved you in a certain way, the outcome of that case, as you were studying law and learning about all these different cases? When I graduated from law school, I worked at a law firm doing disability rights litigation, and one of my top cases was against an online library called Script. It's a digital library, and blind readers couldn't read the books on the Script library. So the National Federation of the Blind sued Script, and Script argued that because its services were online, it shouldn't have to comply with the Americans with Disabilities Act. But because Scripps didn't think the Americans with Disabilities Act applied online, I represented the National Federation of the Blind along with other attorneys, and my team argued that, yes, the ADA does indeed apply to online businesses. And the judge agreed with us and ruled that the ADA does apply to online businesses. And after that, agreed to make its online services accessible to blind readers. That was a huge victory, and I feel honored to have been part of that, and it's a great reminder for all other companies that it's important to make online services accessible. It's a legal requirement. You'll also gain more customers. It's good business in the long run, but it is definitely a legal requirement. Right now, I focus on teaching and a training. I travel the world teaching organizations to make their services accessible. So I no longer do litigation. 
the one I did, that was one of the cases that I worked on. Do you have a problem with the word inspiration? And I know you've been asked this question before, but for those who haven't heard you give that answer, I think it's interesting to have you articulate why you have a problem with the word inspiration. The word inspiration is beautiful, and I'm honored to be called an inspiration for a lot of people. Some people do use the word inspiration as a disguise for pity. For example, they might say, thank goodness I don't have your problems. Your problems are so much worse than mine. I'm inspired to stop complaining. That's an example of inspiration being used as a disguise for pity. So I encourage everyone to be more thoughtful about how we use the word inspiration. What do you actually mean? Do you mean you're moved to make changes? Or do you mean you feel pity for the person? So just be aware of what you actually mean. So if you're inspired to make your schools more accessible, if you're inspired to make your videos with captions so that deaf people can access them, that's great. That's a wonderful use of the word inspiration. But if you use inspiration as a disguise for pity, then that's not okay. I've also heard you say disability isn't something we overcome. Can you talk to us more about that? Disability is part of human diversity. We're all different. Everybody has something that makes them different about them. Like I know many civil rights cases. You may only know one. That's one way in which we're different. So everybody has differences, and we want to be respectful about the ways in which we're different. Disability is one of the ways in which we're different. It's not something that we need to overcome. It's not as if we need to stop being different. Rather, we need to change the culture and the environment so that people with disabilities have full access. So if a blind person can't read a book, Blindness is not the problem. The problem is the book not being available in Braille. So let's be aware that disability is not something we need to overcome. Rather, society needs to remove the barriers that create problems. That's beautifully said. Beautifully said. We're all different, and we need to have environments where it's okay to be different. You can teach us about hip-hop. I can teach you about civil rights, and the world is better off that we have different people with all these differences. Absolutely. I think there's this myth that an individual needs to be completely independent and do everything on their own, but humans by nature are interdependent, and right now we're very globally interdependent. Lots of people love coffee but very few people actually grow their own coffee beans. They're dependent on farmers in other parts of the world to help prepare their coffee and grow their coffee beans. And it's okay to be interdependent. Just be aware that this is part of humanity. This is how we work. Rather than trying to live by the myth that we need to be completely independent. We all have talents that we bring. So stop living by the myth that we need to be interdependent. 
die, that we need to be completely independent <laughs> and accept and celebrate that we are interdependent. What do you remember most about meeting President Obama? He's very warm and respectful, and he gracefully switched from voicing to typing. A lot of people communicate primarily by voice, and because I'm deafblind, I can't hear that. So I ask people to type what they're saying, then I'll read on a digital braille display. So we told President Obama that I'm deafblind, and we needed him to type so I can understand what he's saying. And he did. He very graciously switched from voicing to typing, and I was able to understand what he was saying. It's great to have a leader who role models inclusion. Absolutely, yeah. His presence is, is missed. You have a very sweet seeing eye dog named Maxine. That's right. I noticed in one of your videos that you mentioned you tell her which way to go, left, right, straight. Is that typical of seeing eye dogs? Or do the dogs usually lead? The dogs don't lead. They have no idea where to go. So the humans need to be in charge, and they give the dogs clear instructions of where to go. Forward, left, right, stop. And the dog merely moves around obstacles. Guide dogs are wonderful. Maxine is a small German shepherd, and she was trained at the Sinai in Morristown, New Jersey. There are about 13 different guide dog schools around the country. And I did research on the different types of training and the skill levels from all the different guide dog schools. And I chose the CNI. The CNI is one of the few schools that does German Shepherds. And I really wanted a German Shepherd. What is it about German Shepherds that drew you to them? German Shepherds have pointy ears. And it makes them look alert and intelligent and aware. So I want a dog that looks smart. Are there any more TED Talks or book ideas on the horizon for you? I'm working on a book, actually. I'm working on my memoir, and it's scheduled to be published in 2019 by Grand Central Publishing. Congratulations. Is there anything on the horizon that you want to explore, like salsa dancing or surfing, that you haven't yet explored? I haven't yet done a comedy show, so I'm excited to do that sometime in the future. I personally don't think you need to be funnier than you already are. Thank you. <laughs> I think I'm building up my skills. I have high expectations, so I'm going to continue to develop my sense of humor. I think that's great. Um, how about, is there a favorite place that you've traveled to, and why was it your favorite place? I love going to New York City. New York City is exciting. There's always something fun going on. I wouldn't want to live there, but it's fun to visit. And why is it that you wouldn't want to live there? The weather. <laughs> I don't like snow. I can handle snow for a little bit, but I wouldn't want to live somewhere where it snows regularly. As a lawyer, you deal with a lot of conflict. 
why do you feel most people typically shy away from conflict? And what advice do you have for them to get past that discomfort? A lot of people have trouble saying no. And I think it's helpful to reframe the no as a yes. So you're saying no to one thing, but you're also saying yes to other things. And the yes could be being true to yourself, among other things. So practice saying no while also saying yes to other things. So it's just a trick of framing. Framing an issue as saying yes to certain things to help overcome the fear of saying no. Thank you for that. I think what's important about what you just shared is it applies to so many areas in a person's life. Exactly. You can do it with relationships. You can do it at work. You can do it when a leader offers you food that you don't actually want. (laughs) Actually, I don't need the rice right now, but I appreciate that you're being thoughtful. Maybe in the future... So you could say no while also saying yes to something else. What is one shift that has taken place within you over the past three to five years in your outlook or experience of life? Last year, I decided to start my own business, and that's a huge shift from relying on other people to create my schedule to being fully responsible for my schedule and my future. It was hard, but it's super exciting, and I'm glad I was able to make that shift. What advice would you give to your 18-year-old self? I'd tell my 18-year-old self to keep exploring, keep innovating, and keep finding new ways to access information. What are your thoughts on destiny or a larger force at work? I'm not part of any organized religion, so I I simply practice kindness, being kind to others and expecting others to be kind. Lastly, what is your favorite quote and why? People often quote me. (laughs) (laughs) But I love reading, and lots of people have great advice but I don't think there's a specific quote that I carry around with me all the time. Thank you, Haben, for taking the time, and we will look forward to your book and more talks. Thank you for this opportunity to share my story, Samson. You're welcome, and give Maxine a very, very big hug for me, too. I will. (laughs) Okay. Take care. Thank you, Haben. Until next time, everybody, thanks for tuning in.